you start thinking differently about your product not being about people watching it. It's about what it makes them do. So how does your product or idea make people move or interact? Welcome to the Creative Chats Podcast with Mike Brennan. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Creative Chats. It's the podcast for artist makers and content creators where we talk about creativity, the creative process, and story. I'm your host, Mike Brennan. You can connect with me over on Instagram. I'm at Mike Bone. And you can check out some of my work on my website, which is mikebrennan.me. I'd also love to extend an invitation to you to join our free online private Facebook group called Daily Creative Habit. It's simply for creatives who want to show up every single day to leverage their time and their passion towards their creativity. If that's you, join us by going to dailycreativehabit.com. I look forward to seeing you in the group today. On this episode, I get to sit down with the one and only creator of, wait for it, remember the game Bop It? Of course you do. Bop it, smack it, scratch it. (laughs) I always made up my own words from there. But I get to sit down with Dan Klitzner, who was the creator and inventor of this amazing toy, as well as many others. And uh, we talk not only about the origins of where Bop It came from, how it went into production, Uh, We talk about how do you follow an idea and when is it appropriate to listen to the voices of others on the journey. And also, we talk a little bit about his newest endeavor, which is Bop It For Good, which is an amazing program where he's trying to really leverage the popularity of Bop It to help some other people. And uh, I won't give too much away. You can hear it in the interview. But um, it's really amazing to me that when you create something that becomes more than a product and it's more than an idea, it becomes a movement and it invites some people into it. Um, It becomes something much larger than probably anybody could ever have anticipated. So I know you're going to enjoy this interview and it's also filled with some sound effects. So uh, there were some visuals, but hopefully you can kind of uh, get the understanding of what's happening and enjoy the of course sound effects of bop it uh so this is my creative chat with dan klitzner well dan welcome to the creative chats podcast i'm excited to have you here thanks so much i am very excited to be here i uh i've been uh trying to think about all the creative things that we can talk about and i'm i'm a complete blank (laughs) which is the right place to be i think before you start talking about creativity sure yeah well i mean i love you know first of all i gotta say you know i'm a fan of bop it um i've owned probably several of them uh over the years and uh although I tended to get a little more frustrated um and wanted to break it (laughs) not necessarily bop it (laughs) yeah i've heard that before i i like I like sometimes uh, I, I try to claim I'm I'm my my claim to fame is the inventor of the most annoying game of all time. And uh, I haven't had many people contest that. So uh, it sounds like you agree. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. Yeah, I, I also have to confess that I would also make up my own phrases to go with it a lot of times, which I'm sure you've probably heard that as well. <laughs> you know, pop it, crack it, smack it. <laughs> yes, I have. There's been an amazing, you know, 
just jumping into creativity and we were saying riffing off of other things. Something, this is now 25 years since the invention. And I've done, you know, I've been involved in all of the sequels and all these things. And so I'm very involved in, in what's next and all the things you could do with it. And there's been about, you know, a thousand, not could be, it seems like it, spoofs, social media posts, uh, songs. There's so much about that riffs off of it. And what I do enjoy is many people saying, you know what you should do, or it should have this, or it should have that. And even if I've already, you know, combed over a lot of it, what I love is it brings that out in people. Somehow they, they think of what else it could be. And, and if you check it out at any time, you know, just Google bop it and whatever spoof satire, you'll see Saturday night live, the Simpsons, like it's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. And sometimes I'll stand back and go, wow, that's, that's really kind of cool that it inspired this other creativity, at least, you know, in that way. So you're not alone. Well, and it's amazing because it's like, you didn't just invent something that was a toy that came and, and made a splash and then went away, but it really was something that it broke through and became like a cultural icon. Um, and like you said, there it, it infiltrated these other areas of, of culture and entertainment and so forth. And when something like that happens, I think that's when it proves that, oh, this is something much bigger. This is something that that has landed and, and has a home with so many people that yeah. there's a common experience around. So that way it's almost like a shorthand. Everybody knows what it is. Everybody has had that experience of, of playing with it. So um, it, it, there's less that you have to do to explain, uh, which is amazing. I mean, yeah, kudos it, to you. Nailed it. That is exactly what feels, well, it feels good to know that it's universal enough to have reached so many people. What it really, uh, I guess, makes me feel grateful for is sort of the reason I went into games and what I loved about games growing up was how I felt when I played them with my family or my friends, even from a young age, playing cribbage with my dad, like the simplest of things. The state of mind that we're in when we play is very different and very important that you that if you think back to the memories that you have, the warmest, fuzziest memories, often they'll be playing a game or being, you know, playing around with someone, you're in a different state. So to know that it's such a simple thing that it can connect people who you, you can connect strangers, you can just give them a bop it, they can play together and they kind of get to relate. Like it's the medium to let people connect in the most simplest way. The instructions are the game, right? It says yeah. Tell what to do, you do it, but because you're physically doing it together, you, it just, it just works, you know? So I think that is, as you said, the most universal pop culture uh, references to it make me feel, I stand back and go, wow, what, and that's, you know, has led to a lot of the what's next uh, questions. So. Yeah. 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 I, I love that you mentioned about childhood and how it was, you know, something special for your own childhood of playing games and stuff. Was this something as far as creating this and, and now what it is that you're doing for, for living and have been doing, is this something that was started early on and you knew as a kid, this is something you want to do? Or, or like, did you stumble into that? What did that part of your journey look like? Well, yes, I loved playing games. My, my parents, uh, mostly my dad was, was uh, playful. He was, he, he is. 95 and is an actor and was very uh 
you know, we had a lot of theater in the family growing up. Both my parents were, were in theater. And so I think just in a creative environment, there was a lot of playfulness. And so I was lucky with that. And I sort of had a lot of freedom to do to do a lot of different artistic things. And I I was very I drew a lot. I drew a lot of monsters. If you look, I have some old uh, <laughs> drawings. It's like another monster, another monster, another monster. I just sort of, you know, was a kid who drew a lot of monsters and kind of crazy gadgety things that often people will describe as Rube Goldberg contraptions. You know, these things that I kind of had a, an interest in that um, and building things, you know, ceramics, things like that. But it definitely was interesting that I feel I was a problem solver uh, early on, less about creative expression, but more, uh, and, and very game-like, like trying to think of things that would engage people. So I, I think there's a little elements to both of those things, but um, you know, eventually I did, I went into industrial design, which took a long journey to find out what that even was. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, you know, I think, if you say, I think I was an industrial designer at age six and didn't know it. And then it just took a long time to realize it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and you know, it's funny because I think so many people relate to that statement of there's a germ of something when you're younger, but you don't really have context to it. And of course, when you're, when you're six, you're not thinking in those terms, you're thinking, this is what I like to do. I'm just having fun. I'm just showing up and being me. Um, and then as you get older, you start to explore more of that. And unfortunately, some people get further away from that and then try to spend the rest of their lives getting back to that place mm -hmm. of what was that thing that brought me joy? What is that thing that I really love and that could actually serve the people around me? Um, so I love that it stayed with you and that you really leaned into it and was able to harness it to, to create things that bring other people joy. You know, that's amazing. Yeah, I was, as I said, very lucky to have had parents that were just really encourage creativity. I know a lot of people, a lot of peers, I know that, you know, sort of where the really had to fight for it. And so um, I think it, it comes from different places. You can come from, you know, I think it's in you. If you are, if you have that seed inside that just sort of has the curiosity and you follow it, most people find it, you know, like you said later, something that they connected to when they were younger, whatever that was. Uh, it's amazing, isn't it? When you talk yeah. to enough people, they they go, yeah, I guess at six, seven, eight, that's what I love to do. And they took a while to, to get back to how to do that. Um, so I'm always fascinated with that, especially industrial design specifically is all the people I've met, friends in school, you know, post-industrial design was very tricky. M many of them didn't know what it was, kind of were artistic, but didn't want to be an artist didn't want to be a graphic designer, wasn't architecture. And somehow this thing shows up that's ergonomic. Uh, to me, if you think of a lot of the work that I've done, it's all handheld, tactile, musical, uh, ergonomic things. And I kind of look at that sometimes and go, wow, I just, I didn't really see that coming. It just, but looking back, I was extremely tactile, loved sculptural things. You know, like I, I had all of that there. I just had no label for it at the time. Um, but I knew, I knew I did not want to be a fine artist, which was really interesting from, from a very young age. I knew it wasn't really for me, but I loved all the things around it, drawing and, and problem solving. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. 
Um, so I need to ask the question, and I'm sure you've been asked this a million times as far as the origins of Bop It, but was, where were you in that point of the journey? Like, were you looking for something like your, your big idea, or was this something that happened kind of like organically? Um, talk a little bit about like the process of like getting that idea, what that looked like, and then what you did with it once you had it. Yeah, I, I've talked about the origin story a lot and thought about it a lot. And every time it has a little different, I guess a little more meaning or um, I'll say I'm, I'm more met, amazed by it every time I think about it. Like, it, you know, the further away you get from something, you're like, wow, that really happened. Oh, I'm yeah. really glad I'm, I'm really glad I did this, this and this. Otherwise it never would have. So easier to retrace in hindsight. But yeah, the, the, origin story really starts for me as a freelance industrial designer. I answered an ad in a, uh, in the, in a real newspaper, San Francisco Chronicle about a free looking for a freelance toy designer for a company called discovery toys. And I, I had other clients at the time. I was in fact doing a lot of architectural illustration, uh, which I kind of enjoyed. I didn't want to design architecture, but I could make money sort of freelance sketching before there were a lot of computers to let you do it without a, someone. I got a lot of work in the San Francisco Bay Area doing that as well as bottle design and sort of industrial design freelance jobs. And I so this was just one more client, like, oh, I'd like to try toys. And I've uh, started to work with them on these proprietary designs uh, that they, I, as a consultant, they just hired me to do um, a bunch of these new products. And I tried to be very sculptural. Like if you look at some of these rattles, uh, for those who are looking, well, here's, here's a, uh, so things like this. Here, oh, yeah. you can hear it, right? It sounds like a rattle. It's got things that you spin, things that you flick, things that you twist. Hey, wait a minute. That sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of think starting early, I was like fascinated still with tactile things. These were for babies, but they look a little bit like what later became a boppet. So it's perhaps, you know, just sort of one track mind. I like things like that are sculptural and make lots of noises. So this uh, went on for quite a while, a few years. And I started to hear that there were, um, inventors in the toy industry that could actually sell their ideas uh, to other toy companies. Cause I, it, I said, well, that I would, I have a lot of ideas. That sounds fun. How do you do that? So I started researching how that process works and actually hired someone to kind of coach me who I'd heard had been in the toy industry as a executive and he, someone connected us and I sort of said, tell me how that works. So I really did a little research in how to do, how to do toy inventions, started to pitch ideas to these different toy companies. At the same time, I had a client called Memorex, which was uh, best known for audio tape. You know, is mm -hmm. it live or is it Memorex? Yep, exactly. <laughs> but, but they were starting to do some of their own electronics and, or, or either they had, maybe it was a different company with their brand. I can't remember, but it was Memorex brand. And I designed, they wanted me to design remote controls for them. And it started with this big concept, blue sky thing, like design us the future of, you know, home electronics. And 
more more like little devices like uh, remote controls, CD players. I actually designed some earbuds, very much like the AirPod that uh, these little earphones that that were like really stylish and cool. And it won an industrial design award as like a gold award for for electronic design. And I was very proud of that. And then they called me back and said, can we do some real projects and really have you work on remote controls for us? We have this new line of remotes. They were universal remotes that had, um, you, know, you could use on any TV that was kind of new. And so while I was also looking at toy concepts to pitch to toy companies, I thought, well, maybe there could be a remote control for kids that was more like a toy instead of this, just this thing. Like what else? could you do with this besides having it sit on your coffee table and, and just run your TV? So I started to look at putting sounds into remotes and how they could be shaped and themed like different things and actually had one called a couch potato, a channel surfer, a um, one was this, a football, like, like, a, like, a, I don't know why, just like a sports one, you know, like themed remotes kind of silly. And one was a, hammer that I called the channel bopper. And the channel bopper, if you imagine, had, um, well, again, if, if you are on video, I will actually show you and describe to you, this is the original prototype of Bop It. It is a foam core hammer that wow. has, it has two ends on the top, like these little bubbles, and you bopped them on the table. One was channel up, the other side was channel down. So if you are sitting at your Imagine a kid watching TV and you're, I don't like that channel, bop, 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 <laughs> bop, and you would bop your way through the channels, right? And, and I like this idea of this super physical way of interacting with the product, not just using your thumbs, um, which was a very specific intention I'll tell you about in a, in a second. But you can see it as a twist knob. So you twisted the volume. These are all instead of just push buttons, right? And I pull knob i was you know so that they were very different axes of motion a bop a twist and a pull so you can see where this is going mm -hmm. um, this idea was too out there for the companies that were looking i did sell the idea to a toy company actually for these remotes out of control you can still find them on ebay somewhere and one and at the end i wanted they, they were trying to decide on one more and i said you really got to do this channel buffer it's the coolest remote control this is like beyond anything that's been this is almost like a toy and they said no what uh, let's look at some of the others and one was a pizza uh it looked like a slice of pizza Pe the pepperoni the mushrooms were the were the controls and it was funny to me to put a piece of pizza on your coffee table and say that's my remote control right <laughs> so it was more of the humor and they said, let's just go with the pizza. So the, that left this channel bopper on my desk for a number of months, just sitting there because I thought it was cool. Pitched it to a bunch of different companies. No, we're not really doing TV remotes. You can imagine that's not really a toy, this. And, and someone uh, at one point said, maybe it's not a remote. You seem really passionate about this idea. And one lesson here is, you know, when you've got your baby and you go, your first impulse is what? What are you talking about? That's the whole concept. Of course, it's a remote. But but right as I was starting to say it, I kind of okay, okay. Remember, no idea is a bad idea. Listen to the feedback. You know all those things we were supposed yeah. to do. And I thought about it and said, yeah, I guess it could be something else. But you know, when you're so stuck on an idea, 
This is a remote control that you bop on the table. There's no way your mind really, or unless someone says something and you're open to listening, it's very hard to shift gears. So one thing I did right was I shifted gears and thought, maybe I've pitched this to a lot of companies, no one likes it. Went back, started looking at other things. And in the meantime, what happened was a company called Tiger Electronics was looking for new LCD games. You know, the very cheap ones that used to be around in the late 80s, yeah. early 90s. And they had done really well. And then they, were, they started to fall off. They said, you have any ideas for a new LCD handheld game? And this thing was sitting on my desk, this little foam core channel bopper. And I thought, well, maybe this could be an LCD game. So I tried putting a screen in it, tried to do things. You know, it, it didn't really work. It was sort of like, well too hard to see the screen while you're bopping this thing you know so the evolution of which i could make the story 10 times longer but i won't is that <laughs> eventually it uh i did show them this idea they didn't like it the company that called but i still had it and started to show it to different companies eventually taking the screen out trying to make it like memory i said well it could be like simon but with three-dimensional actions so how does it feel to bop twist pull bop twist pull pull Bop, twist, pull, bop, like Simon. You know what? It's really hard. It's like 10 times harder than Simon. And so not trying to force that was important to, to not just say it's a memory game. So then think about that process. You're like, well, okay, I guess it doesn't work. But instead, it was like, well, maybe it works if you just do only four in a row. Yeah, it's still a little weird, three in a row, two. And then it's somehow, I think the biggest epiphany was, what if it's just one command at a time, but it gets faster? You know, that, that's so easy to look at in retrospect. But mm -hmm. that's those are the little things, I think, from your mind, just knowing this isn't working. But I think there's something here. What is it that will make it work? The process is simply iterating, paying attention, letting other people try it simulating it. I did a sort of simulation on video to kind of hear it. I did some different audio. I actually used the voice of Homer Simpson as when you screwed up. If you look at the old video, you can find it. Uh, usually it's up on YouTube somewhere. People have posted it. It's me pitching this 25 years ago. And you can hear when I screw up, it goes, dope. It's, and it's just, <laughs> which is ironic because later they did a big spoof on Boppet. So, uh, so it was really, that's, you know, probably as much in, most in depth as I've told about sort of just letting people in on how does this happen? Well, at some point I said, well, that, that actually feels pretty good. I think it's going to work. It, it can tell that trying to do three things in three different axes, X, Y, Z axis with your hands physically one at a time somehow feels like you're going to screw up at some point. And then as I pitched it to different companies, again, went back out, probably pitched it to six or seven companies, along with many concepts I was working on at the time. So did I think it was going to be, this is it? No, not at all. It was one of many, many things that I was you know, pitching that I loved all of them. You have to kind of, I think you have to love every idea that when you're pitching it and think this could be the big one. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I, you know, so that's how that, you know, just I'm just trying to recreate the picture that you're pitching this to all these people. It's in the eye of the beholder, you know, some people love it, some people don't get it. And luckily, well, anyway, before I tell you the how it then 
became what it is. Uh, did you did you have a question? Yeah, I, I was just it was really more of an observation um, that seeing how in the process you were very willing to listen to the feedback and invite people into the process where I think so many times, and, and I guess there's a part of this probably that goes because you're not going to be in a position where you're going to self-fund this and roll out production and distribution and all that stuff by yourself. Like you need other people in that process, right? Whereas if there's somebody else who's listening, maybe they're a fine artist, maybe they're a musician or whatever it is. It, it, and it's a little bit more um, weighing on them or they could possibly create, produce and distribute something. I think the temptation is let me just hold this close to me, finish this and then release it. And, you know, kind of come out of my cave, come out of the studio and say, you know, here it is. I'm coming down from on high and here's my masterpiece. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, but I, you know, I think there's valuable lessons in what you described um, in inviting people into that process and getting the feedback and making the tweaks and going like, this isn't working, but there's something here. Keep at it. Keep iterating. Um, so awesome. I love that. Love that. So feel free to continue with your no, that, story. That is really a really perfect summary of that. Very. And the, the longer you do this, I think your experience teaches you more and more to look for it actively rather than it happening a bit accidentally. Mm, like yeah. I call it relentless listening, like meaning I'm relentless now. I want to hear it and I will, I'm going to go after that feedback because I don't know if you, you're this way with your work, but I can't think of anything that I've ever done without any feedback, you know, in the process, iteration process. I'm not, well, maybe when I was doing illustration and things like that, it was more, I, but in creating products, it's just so interactive and whether, you know, it's very hard to just do it by yourself. And if I did have the funds at the time or the process to say, I'm just going to make it, what would I have done? I would have made this remote control. I would have done something other than this, you know? So I, it's, it's being willing to listen and know that, that, that is, you know, a huge part of the process. And yet knowing when you hear it is one of my things I like to pass on. Know it when you see it or know it when you hear it. There is no formula for some of this stuff. It's that the formula is getting out there, getting feedback and trusting your vision to kind of be able to adjust when it hears something a little bit better than what you already had. You know, if you were at an eight out of 10 and someone makes it a nine out of 10 with one comment, you incorporate it. If they say something that you go, oh, I'll be polite, but that's not it, then don't use it. But, I, but that's definitely the process in toy inventing. Most people will tell you because you have to pitch your ideas to a lot of companies to land one, really. Um, and listening to the feedback, you take it or leave it. But when you hear some nugget from someone, you know, then use it. And it can be from anyone. It doesn't have to be from an expert. You know, it can mm -hmm. just be from, from some, everyone's got an opinion about it. It's up to you to, to kind of see how that fits. So that's basically, you know, once, once a product goes into a toy company, and the design team and the marketing and all these people start working on it. Often you're not very involved. I was involved a little bit, but, but it was pretty well baked. It was like, here it is. It's a game. It says, pop it, just a bullet. It's got audio, which was new, right? That this thing could sort of talk to you and um, guide you through this three-dimensional, you know, what to do with your, it, it, what was new, there's the three-dimensional part. There had been talking toys before, but somehow this captured and the musical rhythm part of it 
was sort of new. So it really landed with the right people. There was a designer named Bob Welch at uh, Parker Brothers at the time, which I, I am so grateful he was there because he really was the other half of, you know, the design execution of the original Bop. It was, was he just took it on, really nailed it. And um, so when it came out, you know, it was sort of like, wow, I really loved the way it came out. It, it, at the time, I had a pretty good feeling like I had never I was just really happy with it. I was like, that is just like exactly how I would do it if I'd done it just all by myself or telling myself that like I loved it. I just loved it. And uh, it was just crazy then to hear it start to take off like it did. I, it was sort of even Parker Brothers was like, what? How? They didn't even advertise it at first. And people just start grabbing it off the shelf like it just looked cool. And uh, so it was we knew that it was pretty early on that it was going to be big, but no one had any idea it would last more than a couple of years because most toys don't. So yeah. I think I think that part is just, wow, you know, it, it became an iconic part of pop culture, uh, partly due to a lot of the riffing off of it and creating like Bop at Extreme. But, you know, then then I really went to work on what to do with it and still am. Yeah. Yeah. How how do you how do you move through that in such a way that you like, so, you know, Bob has been around for a while and <clears throat> you've made iterations of things. And so you're, you're looking for the next version of this or the next iteration of things. But is there a point at which you go um, like, there are other things, I'm, I'm sure there's other things you're working on and other ideas you have for right. other, other things, but where you feel like, um, maybe you're, you're pigeonholed too much or you're, you know, you want to break out of that into something else, but you feel like maybe some of your journey and, and the success of this has mm. defined you so much that it, it doesn't allow you to do that. Uh, yes. And yes. And no, and maybe <laughs> <laughs> if you're tracking it's, it's, I, I go through different phases of, well, one, uh, it just so happens that, uh, well, Boppet touches on a lot of my personal passions with music and the sort of tactile interface, um, the sculptural quality of it, and the ability to do almost endless versions of it. If you've seen I, I, a lot of the products that I've done since then, like there was a Boppet Tetris, a Boppet, this thing called Smash. There's been a DJ version with a turntable. It just sort of ended up becoming an incredible platform where I could create things that not necessarily would have been called Bop It if they were done without that. But because uh, of the way the relationship worked with Hasbro, we could put them all under Bop It. They are completely separate inventions if you want to look at it from an inventor point of view. But uh, so it's, it just created a music game platform. And or this pattern, you know, like the one, the Tetris one, if you've ever, if you've ever had Tetris, the Tetris pop, it, this thing is amazing. It really has, have you ever seen this? No. You can hear it on the podcast. It's got these lights and you're trying to get them into this pattern. So watch, so there's a pattern and you're trying to drop the lights into this pattern, right? And nothing to do with bop it, except we put a voice in it yeah. Um, so it, it added a sense of humor to it, whereas it would have normally been just sort of a dry pattern recognition game. 
So that, that's more what I did. It hasn't at all limited me in any way. It's sort of given an extra option to say, is this something that we could overlay this funny personality to it? And given a reason where you could do other products that might not be possible. But I've also done, you know, I'm a huge fan of card games and board games. I've, uh, I've created maybe, you know, 200 other things over the last 25 years of which some like uh, Perplexus. Um, if you know this, this is this game. I like to hold it up because you can hear them. If anyone hears this marble, you know which mm. game it is. Because when you fail in this game, the marble drops. You know this one? Have you seen this? I don't think I have, no. It's a three-dimensional labyrinth inside of a ball. So it took what was flat, sort of the same concept as Boppet in a way of taking, Simon was flat, Boppet became a three-dimensional handheld experience. Those mazes with the, you know, the wooden mazes with the two handles that you would run a ball through. Yep. That on the table. This is basically that turned into a handheld three-dimensional experience. And uh, you're trying to, as you can see, when I as for, for me to get the ball through it, you have to move around the ball. And people, if you can hear this sound, you're going to know the sound of this. There's a lot of perplexus players out there, right? That sound, the little clicking, is sort of the equivalent of Boppet screaming. It's the, oh, crap. I. <laughs> um, so this was actually, uh, someone came to me with this sort of preliminary idea for this. And I worked with this uh amazingly talented guy named Michael McGinnis, who's become a lifelong friend. It's been 22 years since we've been working on these. So that was a case of something else where it had nothing to do with Boppet at all, except that I think I kind of brought a little Boppet-y, this aesthetic, the sculptural quality of it is very, a lot of people have said, that's sort of like a Boppet, but a maze. It makes no sense, but they kind of see the DNA in there. So yeah. I think it's that tactile um, nature uh, I've done, I've recreated Simon, I've recreated lots of guitars you see behind me, uh, musical games. Hyperdash, that one over there is a game where you chase uh, around your yard, it's talking to you, but you're trying to, it's almost expands the idea of a boppet into your entire house, but it was called Hyperdash for those who had it, did very well. And there's, and you can see behind me a lot of games that I would say many were, um, I got something when Boppet was successful, sort of a confidence as well as an ability to work with uh, eventually two partners, my partners, Gary and Brian, who are very good at electronics and sound design. Gary used to run a production studio. So it kind of gave us this platform to create from. And, but, you know, this year I've come out with a few things that have nothing to do. They're just card games, stuff like that. So I'm always thinking yeah. of something. Um, there is one well, I'll save it to the end when we say what's, remind me, when I talk about what's been in common with a lot of these things, there is one uh, mantra that I will share at the end. Okay. Yeah, for sure. I, I know we were, talk <laughs> we were talking earlier about, um, <clears throat> you know, just how in, in everybody's journey, there are these moments where, you know, um, there's where we could be riddled with failure, you know, of projects and things. And, you know, those missteps. Um, and when somebody sees a success like Boppet and they, it's very easy to just hold that up at the end and go like, wow, that's incredible. And, and to have all the focus be on the end of that product and the end of that journey, so to speak, and not know what it took to get there. Um, are there anything, are there experiences that you can share maybe that have to do with missteps and failures along the way, some hard times that might actually be able to encourage some of the listeners who are on that path struggling right now? 
Well, I like to, you know, say statistically, I am, I'm a professional failure because I'm at least 10 to 15 times better at it than being successful. You know, if you think about it, what, what do I do all day? What have I done my whole career? I've created, you know, 3,000 failed ideas and 300 successful ones or semi-successful, maybe 30 of those successful. You know, so 1% of the ideas that I've spent a lot of time on. So I'm statistically much better at failing. But now let's turn that around and say you have to have faith, uh, truly, that the failures are just building blocks for you to put together and build, you know, okay, it's going to take 10 building blocks to build this success. Maybe those are your lessons or that just by getting feedback, what knowing, you know, let's think about the Wordle. I don't know if you're addicted to every, like everyone to Wordle. What is the thing about Wordle that is so amazing, right? Being wrong actually gives you as much information as being right. You know, when someone comes up, your your first word is no no letters in common. Like I just, you know, most people will relate to this if they do the wordle. It's like that's proof that those, you know, you you can have all these wrong answers and then get the right answer on the third try. And that's kind of struck me as a little bit what like this is this is about is all those failures. You have to be willing to say what they teach you is what not to do or what to do a little differently or what order should you do things in often. You know, there's just, I think just being alert for what you learn from the failures and, you know, you don't want to fail, but you have to, you have to be, if you're not failing, you're just not trying enough stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I've, I've, uh, I've often felt that way about like rejection letters of things where if you're applying for shows or, you know, trying to get into galleries or whatever, um, it's, it's the truth. It's, it's, you need to keep putting things out there. You need to keep, and listening to the feedback, like we, we already mentioned, um, to keep moving and build on yeah. those things, like you said, for sure. Um, yeah, the, the, I think I was mentioning to you before we got on here, on my uh, TikTok, which is, uh, I encourage anyone to watch if they want to uh, laugh at an old guy trying to do TikTok. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the, uh, you know, I'm sharing in stories, invention stories. I try to focus it because of the 25th anniversary, I decided to try this to share stories, invite some feedback. I'm doing some fun little things where people could maybe get their voice in a bop it, you know, uh, little little stuff like that. And soup, I really love the engagement, but something that is really eye-opening to me is when I take a bunch of like presentation boards of rejected ideas and I just sort of start going through them and showing like, here's some ideas, wonder why they didn't work. People love that. They love to give comments and, wow, why didn't that work? I mean, of course, the first thing they always say is, I would buy that. You should make that. You should Kickstarter that. It's like, okay, easy for you to say. Right. Uh, but great, great. The idea is, you know, that that you know that there's uh, sort of, an, you know, most ideas people have have some merit to them. But, of course, you, you kind of have to figure out the right time, the right idea, the right place, the right person to pitch it to, the right execution. The right, like there's a lot of things have to be right. And for you to just not force it when the ideas are not, that's not, it's time yet. I think being sensitive to that or it's not the right company or the right partner to pitch it to. Just knowing that if you really look at that formula and I, I do have 
uh, I won't go in depth in it, but a kind of a formula called right, R-I-T-E, which is relationship, idea, timing, and execution. I kind of divide, if, if your concept, it doesn't have to be a toy idea at all. It could be artwork you're working on. Um, thinking of those as four legs of a table, are the relationships involved in this project really, really at, as, high, as strong as they could be to make this successful? Is the idea as strong as it could be? Should it be, do I, am I in love with my idea so much that I, that I don't realize it could be much better if I got feedback? That's often a mistake people make. The timing is the T and execution, as you know, as an illustrator, you can have a concept for something and, and, and execute it 10 different ways. So there's a, those, it's just a way of saying, be careful not to fall in love with the first thing you do in any of those categories and really check yourself on, is this, are all of these things, am I paying attention to enough of these to know why something's not working when I think it should be working? So it's just a little bit of a check valve that I use. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I'm sure that people are going to find it very valuable to go back, write that down, because uh, that's a that's an awesome framework to to be thinking through, no matter what it is, like you said, that, that you're working on for sure. Yeah, everything um, has to be right. It's easy to, you know, is what I say. Yeah. It, that's often a moving target. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of moving targets, uh, what I, I want you to talk a little bit about uh, Bob it for good and like what what's coming next? Like, what is it that you see that maybe you want to do that you haven't had chance to do or that you're excited about right now? Yeah, uh, Bob it for good is a basic program, I guess you call it that we start my wife and I sort of wanted to think what to do at 25 years. And I've you know, I've done many, many things, as you said, failed many times at other things, and yet incredibly fortunate that Boppet has lasted 25 years. I can't believe it, can remember it, as people say, just like yesterday, that yeah. the day that it happened. I'm so, you know, and I look back on it and feel so fortunate um, that it's been so entrenched. And yet there's a bunch of groups that I've, I kind of wanted to give back in some way. And that could be a lot of things. It can be giving back to the fans of people like what engaging and telling and listening to their stories. I'm, I'm actually planning a book that we're trying to get out this fall uh, and to really incorporate a lot of the sort of pop culture and, and the fun of the story. But also I love people's stories about what their Boppet story. I was I, on social media asking, tell me what's, tell me your Boppet story. So I often will do posts where people tell me that. And I'm, I'm trying to put those in, to the book if there's something good. So that's a give back, give back to uh, a lot of the communities that have said BAPA was so important. I found that over the years, letters and just experiences, news articles about people who are blind that play BAPA are really incredible. Um, the simplicity of it, it didn't occur to me at the time, but it's one of the few games that you can play when you're blind with people who can see and have there be no difference. Mm. And so yeah. letters that just make, you know, just make my heart swell of people saying, thank you so much. Uh, I, I'm blind. I made a friend at eight and I'm now 20. He's still my best friend. And I wouldn't have made that friend without Boppet because mm. I'm blind and I couldn't connect to friends. And I just, it just hit me. Wow, so you're blind, you're 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 ostracized from friends. You can't probably don't know how to play with you or what to do with you. They're playing video games or this or kickball, something, right? 
And now along comes a game that those friends think is cool and you hear it and you go, I could do you know, like that. The whole, the whole scenarios. And then I started to look into it and found that like the American uh, foundation for the blind, it is listed as one of their top games. Like it, it, I didn't even have any idea. And so once I started to find that out, my wife and I thought, well, that will be a great thing to say. Let's just make sure that if you're blind and you don't have a bop it, let's get you a bop it. Yeah. <laughs> so that was sort of the simplicity. And so I started to do things with this bop it for good, where if I, I was, uh, we have a replica, here it is, of the, of the very original, um, this little baby version of this one, right? If you can see it. So this one, yeah. the big, big one with the goofy sounds. And the famous scream and the drum roll. Uh, that is um, what this one looks like, but it's got actually the sounds of the current one, which is a new a voice, a guy named Buddy Rabino I've been working with for years. So, bop it, the start. so this is a little mini bop it that actually works. Bop it. <laughs> it's got this. So as you notice, it has a lot of the snarky comments. That wasn't in the first one. That evolved over years is that Boppet, people forget that the original one just said Boppet was a poet and it screamed when I'm you failed. And it wasn't <laughs> until we evolved it into Boppet Extreme, like, hey, what else could it say? You know, this has taken a number of years. And now this little mini one, which is about a quarter of the size and it comes with this cool little 25th anniversary stand. So I'm, I'm getting these uh, right now out just on boppetforgood.com selling them where the, the, you know, donating to these different um, programs to the blind, but also just every time someone buys one, we're, we send one to one of these, uh, there's a couple groups just to kind of get more boppets out there. So it's a bit of a buy one, send one. So that's one thing, just trying to make boppet for good matter, as well as there's an autistic community that also, it turns out, families say that's one of the few games they can actually all play together. There's something about bop it and autism that we don't mm. understand quite yet so those are the kind of things that came to uh, my attention and we wanted just to figure out so we're figuring out all of that um and there is a new product as well that i'm trying to uh, launch right now called uh, the bop it button or the unibop single bop i don't well we won't hold it up. You can imagine because I have to go. It looks so okay. It looks kind of like this, like the Bop mm -hmm. It logo. And all it is the single button that says Bop It and Don't Bop It. But you do it in, it's got about 15 voice ways of saying Bop It. I took all the past uh, files from all the different Bop It's and put them in there, as well as a bunch of the funny sayings that are favorite favorites of people and a whole bunch of things they haven't heard yet, like out take some stuff that were never in any Boppet. And also some, I'm inviting people to audition on TikTok to say something. Actually, that's you can still do it this week. I don't know when the podcast comes out, but I think April 1st, we're sort of announcing a couple surprise voices that are going to be hidden in it. And the whole concept of, <clears throat> of the Unibop is that, of, is that it's this single button thing. It sits on your desk, you just, you tap it and it says a funny phrase. But between bop it and don't bop it, it actually goes, uh, at this point, it can go to a million. I'm not sure we're gonna make it go to a million because <laughs> it's a bit daunting, probably 25,000 in honor of the 25th anniversary. But it's kind of like, you just got a key, it's an attention span thing, bop it, don't bop it. 
but it says it in so many different ways that you just start laughing, hearing all these voices. And then it'll sort of say something in the middle of playing, like, you're so hot right now. Like, like something that we had recorded from a, like the Zoolander quote, you know, from a, so, so a lot of surprises in there. And it's the idea that the longer you play, the more it unlocks. What I'm, what we're trying to use it for is eventually getting celebrities and people to lend their voice as Easter eggs inside of it. So it will be specifically a philanthropic sort of bop it. Definitely meant to be separate from all the, the ones that are out there that I do with Hasbro. But this one is this cool thing on your desk. It's the idea is when you bop it, you bop it for good. Just push this button and do some good is sort of the idea. Mm. And that hiding and getting people to see how crazy they are, if they will go to 25,000 to hear all the voices and unlock them. I'm really curious <laughs> who will do that. And I have a special personal message at the end of it to everyone who unlocks it. So totally fun, uh, just, just happening right now. And if that succeeds, then I'd like to do more with the Unibop with like sports teams. Can you imagine like a lot of them have community foundations and most mm -hmm. of the people who go to a ball game are Boppet fans. Like it's the right demographic. So if you could have, and I'm a San Francisco uh, Warriors fan. So if you could have Steph Curry and Draymond Green and these guys telling you something when you fail, in a bop it and it was branded warriors you know would that be something for instance that we could do these so these bop it buttons the idea is eventually the bop it button can be you know anything it can be um hip-hop artists there's a lot of a lot of hip-hop songs about bop it it turns out there's a lot of things so so there's this giant community out there of people that loved and played bop it in the 90s or, or since then and i guess when you say what's bop it for good about it's about trying to not just raise money for for causes. It's about getting people to collaborate together for a good cause. Because we, you know, that is so much more than the money. It's the fact that it just ties people together. Will you lend your voice for this cause is sort of the, the pitch. And so I'm giving up any royalties or anything on, on this. I'm trying to get, you know, Hasbro's helping partner with it. So it's we're, you know, at the start of what we hope is a big program that will we'll start with a Kickstarter later this year. And that idea is to make these fun bop-up buttons where you get to unlock people's voices who are who are lending it for, for good causes. And it doesn't have to be our cause. It can be their cause if it's the right cause. Yeah. So a lot longer answer than you probably wanted, but that's that's really the first time I've kind of expressed that's that's the vision behind it. Yeah. No, I love it because it's it's more than a product. It's a movement. Mm -hmm. And it's inviting people into be to be a part of something that you know like you said it's 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 bigger than you it's bigger than just this idea and it's when when people have that invitation to join something like that to make something more about a cause and to to then contribute um i think that's when it, you start to see things that would never happen otherwise um so that's that's exciting i'm yeah. excited for you right it's the inviting and i mean i personally i don't think any i've done a lot of things trying to do auctions and charity work and things. And sometimes it just, they always feel disconnected from the cause. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to make them tangible for people. What I love about this idea is I love collaborating with fun and creative people. So when I, especially musicians and people that are, you know, have, my goal is to find people with 10 million, 20 million followers, which I've, I've got a lot of people who follow me who have 
a lot of followers and said, look, I, I don't need to have all these followers. I need you to say, do you want to try to get and reach all your followers by simply just saying bop it, putting it, hiding it in this thing, and then telling your fans about it. You know, so my plan is if I get enough of those people to do that, it's not just about selling these things. It's that now you're, why are we doing that? You know, the, the awareness uh, of whatever we want to do becomes a very huge reach. And it's fun. Like it's people want to have fun. They want to engage. It's not like uh, sobering. It's like, we're going to do something. It's silly. It's fun. You'll laugh. You'll fail. Right. Bob, it's about failing. And yeah but you sort of get to do it together. And that's what, that's what it's about. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Mm. We're at the top of our time. Unfortunately, I feel like I could talk to you for days about this stuff, <laughs> uh, Dan, and I appreciate you just sharing your journey and, and just all the insights. Um, I'm wondering though, maybe we can just end on this one thing of, is there a piece of advice that you might be able to give somebody who's listening right now that, you picked up along the way. Maybe it's something that, that you grew up with or something you picked up in a book or just kind of experience because of life and nugget of wisdom. Yeah, I, I've been thinking about this since you warned me about it before we were talking. <laughs> and I think the one thing I can add is, is something I really, what was the thing that unlocked a lot for me and, and probably did unlock that first remote control, as I told you, and the perplexus and things like that is a simple concept of of watch the basically watch the kid not the toy watch mm. watch what does the product do to the user how does it and i like to use the word animate animate the player animate the observer animate the right whoever that is if you're an artist if you're a musician if you're a toy designer if you're a software designer, you know, whatever that is, digital artist, if you think of animating the, I hate to use the word user or something, but you know, it, it, it animate the player, like call them, is what does that inspire you to do? Because for me, that you start thinking differently about your product not being about people watching it. It's about what it makes them do. Mm. So how does your product or idea make people move or interact? Think of it in reverse. Just pretend the product is a blank nothing and just watch the person. What do they do? Could they be raising their eyebrows or smiling? Could they literally, like Bob, be twisting and pulling? And it's fun for others to watch that person react to it, right? That's the interactivity. Yeah. And it's just a simple little thing like animate the player. It, it, it really feels like it always works if you, at least it'll break you out of something. If you're thinking and you're thinking so much about your work and the art itself, just remember the whole goal is what does it bring out in others? Mm, love that. Love that. Uh, thank you for sharing that. And I know that that's going to translate to so many people and what they're doing today to remember that, uh, not get so stuck on what it is that you're creating that you forget about the people that's having impact on and how it's serving. So oh, such good stuff today, Dan. Thank you so Great. much, really. Oh, uh, appreciate it. And where can people find uh, your, your TikTok you mentioned and, and any of the links that you may want to share? If you have them ready, uh, we can put some stuff in the show notes too. Yeah, in the notes, it's simple. It's I took on the handle Bop It Inventor to make it easy. Uh, I had another name I really liked, which uh, I won't say since it'll confuse people. I may change to it another time. But for now, for this year, it's Bop It Inventor. 
on Instagram or TikTok, uh, probably on Twitter too, although I'm not as active as I should be, but I, I'm trying. And, um, and or go to the website bopitforgood.com and you can see this Unibop that we're working on. It's probably going to be a Kickstarter in a month or so, we're hoping. And uh, that's it. Yeah, I'm pretty involved in answering people. If you have a note, just best way to reach me is probably through Instagram since you can just message me there. Awesome. Great. I encourage people to do that for sure, especially after hearing this uh, podcast to send you some love and to follow you and to make sure that they're supporting your journey as well. So I want to thank you again so much, Dan. And this has been a pleasure. Thank you, Mike. Loved it. Loved sharing it. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening today. I'd appreciate it if you would subscribe, leave a rating and a review. It really helps this podcast be seen and heard by others.